Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode three in my Forgotten Origins of Fairy Tales franchise, where I look into the forgotten past of our best-loved children's stories. Last week we looked into the mysterious history of Snow White and how it actually is based on two real-life women. But this week it's the turn of a really dark fairy tale. I mean, honestly, how Disney managed to turn this into a beautifully innocent love story is beyond me, because as a girl who grew up loving this film, it was quite disturbing to find out where it actually comes from. So this week, we're discussing The Little Mermaid. So first of all, a little bit of background on, on the story, a little bit of history. So it was actually written by Danish author Hans Christian Andersen in 1837. So unlike Cinderella and Snow White, it doesn't have that long, rich backstory and it doesn't have a lot of different versions. But the original differs so much from the version that we know today, I thought it had to be worth mentioning. So I'm assuming we all know the Disney version. So let's take a look at Andersen's. According to the Danish author, the Little Mermaid lived in an underwater kingdom with her widowed father and five older sisters. But though the king is fundamental to Andersen's story, the moral guardian of the tale is actually the grandmother, who looks after all of the king's daughters, but who makes absolutely no appearance in the Disney film for some reason. Now, when a mermaid turns 15, she's permitted to swim to the surface for the first time to catch a glimpse of the world above. And when each of the sisters is old enough, they take it in turns to go to the surface and come back with fantastic tales of the world above the waves. But the little mermaid is the youngest, and though she is the prettiest, has the most beautiful voice, and is the favourite of both the king and her grandmother, she is still not permitted to go to the surface until her 15th birthday. Now the little mermaid becomes more and more obsessed with the surface world and when a gold statue falls from a shipwreck of a handsome young prince when the little mermaid is only 14, she kisses it every night and sings to it every morning. When it comes to the little mermaid's turn to visit the surface, she rises up and watches a birthday celebration being held on a ship in honour of a handsome prince and immediately falls in love with him from a safe distance. Very similar to the Disney film there. And again, like in the Disney film, a violent storm hits, sinking the ship and the little mermaid saves the prince from drowning. She swims all night with him on her back and delivers him unconscious to a shore near a religious temple. Here, 
she waits, kissing his forehead and resting his head against her breasts, until young women from the temple come and find him. To the little mermaid's dismay, the prince never sees the little mermaid's face or even realises that it was her who originally saved him. Instead, he awakes to the beautiful face of the lead lady of the temple, who quickly takes him inside. The little mermaid, mad with grief and jealousy, asks her grandmother if humans can live forever. The grandmother explains that humans have a much shorter lifespan than a mermaid. Mermaids live for 300 years in Anderson's tale. But that when a mermaid dies, they turn to sea foam and cease to exist, with no trace of their existence ever visible. Whereas humans have an eternal soul that lives on in heaven. The little mermaid, hearing this, longs for the prince and an eternal soul, so she visits the sea witch, who lives in a dangerous part of the ocean. And here we can see Ursula, though she's not called Ursula in Anderson's story. But where the sea witch differs from Ursula is that Ursula was banished by the king, but the sea witch chooses to live by herself, surrounded by the skulls and bones of dead sailors and ships. And as the little mermaid swims up to the sea witch's cave, she th these bones reach up and try and drag her under. So it gets really quite morbid. So the witch willingly helps her by selling her a potion that gives her legs in exchange for her tongue and beautiful voice. As the little mermaid has the most enchanting voice in the world, according to Anderson. The witch warns the little mermaid, though, that once she becomes human, she will never be able to return to the sea. Consuming the potion will make her feel as if a sword is being passed straight through her body. Yet when she recovers, she will have two human legs and will be able to dance like no human has ever danced before and walk more beautifully as if she's walking on air. However, she will constantly feel as though she is walking on sharp knives and nails. Every step will be torture and agony. So they left that out of the Disney film. But in addition, she will be able she will only be able to obtain a soul if she wins the love of the prince and marries him. For then a part of his soul will flow into her and she will share his immortal soul. So lots of Lots of feminist journalists have since critiqued this and said that this sounds a lot like, well, sex. And the eternal soul will come with the female having a baby. But anyway, I digress. But if she fails to win an eternal soul in the prince's heart, at dawn on the first day after he marries someone else, the little mermaid will die with a broken heart and dissolve into sea foam upon the waves. But undeterred, the little mermaid immediately agrees to the arrangement and swims up to the surface near the prince's castle, drinking the potion. The liquid, as the sea witch had said, felt like a sword piercing through her body and she passed out on the shore naked. She's found by the prince, again like in the Disney story, who is mesmerised by her beauty and grace, even though she's mute. But most of all, he likes to see her dance. And she dances for him despite suffering excruciating pain with every step. 
Now, here is one serious difference between the Disney version and Anderson's original tale. Whereas in the film, the Little Mermaid is treated like a princess and like a guest in the prince's house, in Anderson's version, she is brought in as a slave to serve him. And soon she became his favourite slave and companion, accompanying him on many outings, but he doesn't fall in love with her and makes her sleep on a pillow outside of his bedroom. When the prince's parents encourage their son to marry the neighbouring princess in in an arranged marriage, the prince tells the little mermaid he will not because he doesn't love the princess. He goes on to say that he could only love the young woman from the temple who he believed rescued him. It turns out, though, that the princess from the neighbouring kingdom was the temple woman, as she was sent there for her education, and the prince declares his undying love for her, and the royal wedding is announced at once. The prince and princess celebrate their new marriage on a wedding ship, again, this is in the Disney film, and the little mermaid's heart breaks. She thinks of all that she sacrificed, and all the pain that she endured for her prince. And she despairs, thinking of the death that awaits her before dawn. But the prince forces her to dance through her tears. Looking over the side of the boat, though, as she dances, she sees her sisters rise out of the water and bring her a dagger that the sea witch had given them in exchange for their long, beautiful hair. It turns out that if the little mermaid kills the prince and lets his blood drip onto her feet, she will become a mermaid once more and all her suffering will end. She'll live out her life full in the ocean with her family. But as the little mermaid watches the prince sleeping next to his new bride, she can't do it. She gently kisses his forehead before throwing herself and the the dagger off of the ship into the water just as dawn breaks. The poor mermaid's body dissolves into foam, but suddenly she is lifted out of the water and can feel the warm sun and discovers that she is turned into a luminous, earthbound spirit of the wind, the daughter of air. And this is because the little mermaid did a good deed so would live out the rest of time as a wind spirit. So, though it does have a somewhat happy ending, there's no denying that this version of The Little Mermaid is far, far darker than Disney's version, and you've got to applaud them for being able to make it appropriate for children. So, that's all for this week. I hope you liked it, I hope you found it interesting, and not too scarring. I hope it didn't ruin too many childhood memories. But next week, we're back in the realm of fairy tales again as I look into the history of the Little Red Riding Hood. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.